0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and
1: welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. This is episode 103. We are all back together on a regularly scheduled time. My name is Taylor. I'm joined today by the entire crew Brady, David, and Jordan. Today we're going to be talking about the Panthers' tough road loss to Louisiana this past Thursday. As a recording of this podcast and their upcoming trip to Conway, South Carolina to face the number 22 ranked Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Also, it's basketball season finally. And we've got an exhibition win over Clayton State and a 97 to 37 season opening route over Bruton Parker to discuss. We'll also tackle some listener questions. But first,
2: gentlemen, how are we doing? It's The first time we're recording so we can officially say it: Braves are the world champions of baseball yeah baby thrown in the air everyone's excited um I, I was really glad that game six ended up not being that close partly because we were recording during the first part of it and that would have been a problem but also just the braves played some really close and stressful games and had to use the best arms in their bullpen the entire time and they ended up doing that in the clinching game anyway but it just felt nice that that moment like i was with david when the cubs clinched uh in 2016, and that game seven was awful to watch. As a, 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 like absolutely horrendous for the, the. I still haven't recovered from a nerves
3: perspective.
1: So and like that 40 minute rain delay, whatever yeah, it was, and the
2: rain delay added to it as well. But like yeah. the Cubs had a lead. The most obscure guy in the lineup gets a game tying home run, Rajai Davis, that you don't expect off the Cubs' best reliever, and then it goes to extras. But this game, Braves got up early. Braves added on, added on. The Astros did nothing, and it was wonderful to see this team that I followed through just the dregs of the season this year when they didn't make it over 500 until August. Make moves to the deadline, win World Series. First time it's happened since I've been an Atlanta, fan in the city. I, I you know I was one and in Virginia when I uh, when the Braves last won the World Series, and so you know nothing more I can say because it's Juris State Pod. And we can't keep talking about this, but. Go Braves.
1: I can't wait to have this exact same conversation and look back to our destitute Hawks fandom in two years when they win the NBA championship. Absolutely. 2024 champs, baby. Anyway, uh, Jordan, do you want to fill us in on a uh, decidedly uh, more somber affair uh, with this Georgia state road loss to Louisiana?
0: Now, of course, as is tradition, that is my role here on the show. But uh, in all seriousness, it was a low-scoring affair in Lafayette. Georgia State jumped out to a 10-0 lead in the third quarter, but could not hold it. Louisiana got touchdowns on either side of the third quarter break to take their first lead of the night, while the Panthers embarked on a 16-play drive down the field. All run plays, old man football, to retake the lead with five minutes and 25 seconds to go. The Cajuns responded with a touchdown drive of their own. Montreal Johnson scored his second rushing touchdown of the final quarter with two minutes, 32 seconds left. And the last minute effort to steal the road win for State died just past midfield. So, yes, uh, lots to talk about here. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts?
3: Hey, man. Georgia State played really well this game. They didn't win the football game, but they played extremely well. Um I think listening to coach's comments uh were a little I guess sombering because watching that game unfold the way that it did was kind of frustrating. You know, you go up to the 10-0 lead like the defense is playing perfect, not just good, perfect. Um and you know, I I don't even want to say that there were there started to be cracks in the armor. I just think that the good team that was allowing a not as good team to play really well just started to execute, and you know sometimes that happens. And I think that there were there were areas definitely that Georgia State struggled. You know, um, surely Brady will bring it up, but like the passing game is definitely something that you know continues to need work. Um, I think. <laughs> While some Panther fans out there are a little bit upset about you know some of the defensive schemes and you know positioning, I think as a whole, there was a couple of plays that the defense left out there um you know depending on who you wanna i guess assign blame to is that for your own interpretation but you know and then just I think special teams especially let Georgia State down. And, you know, there's no moral victories in college football. Obviously, they're four and five now. They came into the game four and four. But you can't look at that game, that collection of 60 minutes, and not sit here and think that Georgia State played well. They absolutely played well. They played good enough to win the game. And the team that is just better, that has more talent on them, just ended up winning the game. That happens sometimes.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just a case of Georgia State fans have seen that, done that ready for the switch of it where you win a game close like that. And just, yeah, I mean, I agree that overall the team played well with the exception, maybe just the passing offense wasn't there. And you're in that game and just late for, except for the touchdown drive, Georgia State got to take the lead again. Anytime a big play happened or a play that happened, you know, an opportunity was there. Louisiana was the one in the fourth quarter taking that opportunity, whether it was, getting that fourth down conversion finally to get on the board. Uh, whether it was the short punt for Michael Hayes that gave them midfield, you know, Georgia state gives them the ball at midfield there. Okay. Whatever. They could go three and out. They've still got to execute and make plays and really quick work made on that drive by Louisiana. They took the lead. Mm-hmm. Georgia state did old, the old man football Jordan alluded to, but Louisiana still had a lot of time. They again, made pretty quick work of that drive. And You know, all of that focus on the times where the defense gave up some quick scores does take away from that they played really, really well for three quarters without any real things you can say. They kept them off the board. They got those stops in the red zone that kept Louisiana off the board. And yeah, I I guess what I would say is you still want to be in these games like this. Like... It hurts almost more to lose a game close like this than it does to lose a game by 35, 50, whatever, 51, if we're going to talk about this week's game. Like, it does hurt more when it's a game that is in your grasp. And Georgia State has had now two really obvious versions of that game this year with the Louisiana loss and the Auburn loss. And so the frustration certainly stacks up, and I get that, but... You keep playing like you have been. You keep being in these games. You're going to crack through that wall at some point. Absolutely going to happen. It's just a matter of making the plays happen when they count.
3: Absolutely. You know, and I'm not here to make any excuses for the the team or anything like that. You know, we have eyes. We can pinpoint exactly what went wrong. I mean, you know, just looking at the box score, Darren only had 98 passing yards. Unless Georgia State's rushing for 300, 400 yards, that's not good enough, you know, but it's it's obviously a balancing act. You know, I think I believe this was the second team all season to rush for over 200 yards against Louisiana. So, you know, they did move the ball effectively at times. And and I think a couple of more scores, obviously, is a, is a huge difference maker, you know, and Georgia State, even when they were playing well, they weren't without their mistakes. Um, you know, the field goal drive that they had in the first quarter, that should have been a touchdown drive. You know, they got down the field, got to the red zone and, you know, I believe it was a sack
2: that forced them to kick a field goal. It was um, He, Darren had Roger Carter inside the five for a catch. It would have been first and goal shorted the pass a little bit. And then the play later was the screen where Tucker Greg almost got killed. Um, and correct. then that brought up the fourth down. Correct. Exactly. You know, like if you complete that pass to Roger
3: Carter, boom, you're on the five. I mean, this offense averaged 4.3 yards per carry during this game. They could have got that and got a touchdown. Instead, they settled for three points, you know, and... I think that the the team did a really good job of corralling Louisiana's aggressiveness. You know, I guess the they and, you know, Coach Napier have this mantra where they're just going to be really corny and go for it on every fourth down, whether game situation dictates it or not. hard money. It does not make money. I guess it doesn't. Um, but at the same time, though, both of the two plays that they stopped – I mean, you know, the defense really did work. The first play was, you know, all coverage. Louisiana didn't have anything going on the backside. And when Lewis kind of rolled out to his left, there was nothing there. He threw it away. And then the next play, you know, Blake Carroll, uh, it kind of reminded me of the, I think the 2015 Super Bowl um, in a sense where just one defender was in the perfect spot. The read wasn't there. And then you forced a quarterback to make a decision and Lewis didn't throw the ball and he got sacked for the The you know the turnover on downs. Like we we've talked about it a couple of times the last couple of weeks. It's starting to seem that like all of these red zone stops are not by accident. You know, there is tangible growth with this defense. And I mean you got to see that against
2: an offense that was averaging over 30 points per game. Yeah, they just had got over the 20 mark with their touchdown that won the game for them. And yeah, I guess that was the time where we should take a, a chat on the uh, the passing game. And I guess what I would say is, I think when we came into this season, we knew that the weapons there were in the passing game, we knew what Quad Brown, who's no longer with the team, had shown throwing to those weapons in 2020. And I think there's an expectation that it should be the year where you get to, you know, 200-something rushing yards, 200-something passing yards, and it's like real balance, really... Can get killed in any way possible by the Georgia State offense, and that's that's not really how it's played out. Darren Granger isn't the same type of quarterback, and he's had been struggling even for you know where he has been good this year. Like he hasn't stayed at that level the last couple of weeks. Even the Southern game, he missed some throws in that one, and those stacked up a little bit, but they didn't factor into the result because Georgia State was still able to win that game. Georgia State did not win against Louisiana, so it, it definitely goes under the microscope more. And I guess I think. The calculus has to change a little bit because I think rather than having that, you know, you can go out and put up 300 rush 300 passing yards a game. I think you're looking for a scenario like 2019 with Dan Ellington, at quarterback where Dan wasn't passing all over the field all game. That team didn't get to, I think maybe just over 200 yards passing a game but, um, might've been, I think it was in like the 190 range. If uh, I'm going off, off my head, I'm not looking at the stats right now, but. Decent completion percentage, a threat, can make the throws where the guys open, and then that opens up the run game even more, I think is the goal for the rest of this season. If you're not hitting any kind of major passing markers, you just still look at it and go, with the receivers that you have, I guess you could call it a disappointment. You definitely want to make sure that you can capitalize on the guys like Sam Pickney, Jekai's Cradle, Jamari Thrash, and the tight ends going into 2022 and find it again but given this year i just think you got to face reality and say that darren isn't really that type of quarterback but he does help you out with the running game he is a part of that he knows how to run that side of things and i think that the throws have been there i think the plays have been there and it's not about the second or third read. Like, I think there's been throws that he can make and that the guys can be open for where it's been first read quick. And you saw that when he had success in this game against Louisiana, it was that the touchdown just dropped back, pop pass to Roger Carter, and Roger did the rest of the work.
3: I mean, you know, I think it's the one aspect that's a little bit frustrating is. Sometimes it's on Darren. Sometimes it's on, you know, the good defensive lines that Georgia State has played lately. Um, I mean, you know, Louisiana, Georgia Southern, even when they played App State earlier, like those are all, you know, mid to upper tier Sunbelt lines in terms of sacks. Um, so it's, you know, it's not like Darren is just facing clean pockets and, you know, just missing throws from there. Like, yes, it does make sense that he, you know, has been rushed on throws or he's getting hit as he throws, but it's just, it's definitely just gotta be cleaned up. You know, there's no kind of, there's no other way around it because it just adds, you know, you saw it with the Louisiana Monroe game. There's just no, it adds such a level of, uh, I guess, excitement or, you know, dynamicism. What's the word? I can't speak. Dynamism. Dynamism. Thank you. Um, talking is hard. Uh, that Don't give me that face. Uh, dynamism to the offense that just is, it's just missing right now. And even though they're running the ball well, it, you just still need that second level and that other component.
2: Yeah, I guess the other thing I'd say on that, you know, talking about making the plays where it happened before that, bad punt that set up louisiana on their eventual first go-ahead touchdown drive the the drive before that for georgia state they went out uh got sacked twice and darren you know it was the one drive like above all where louisiana's pass rush really got home and so you you look at it and it's obviously something where the offensive line has to give some more time and all that goes with that maybe darren has to make just a quicker read but when you lose games by four, you lose it by one possession. When you lose it late, the times where the other team can just have those sets of plays on defense at the same time and get the big impact plays, yeah, that's what made the difference. Georgia State in the fourth quarter couldn't get that. Louisiana had that one drive that basically set Louisiana on their way because at that point, Georgia State matched George, uh, Louisiana's point total after Louisiana took the lead. But of course, because they were down four, that meant that they lost the game. So. Sometimes it really just just comes down to those few plays like that.
0: So let's go ahead and move on to talk about this weekend's matchup against number 22 or number 21, depending on which poll you're looking at. Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, Saturday at Brooks Stadium in Conway, 2 p.m. on ESPN+. Chanticleers are 8-1 on the season and ranked in both the coaches and AP polls, although not by our CFP overlords. They are coached by Jamie Chadwell in his fourth season. He has a 27-18 record at Coastal. The all-time series is tied at two wins apiece, and no home team has ever won in this matchup including the 51 nothing humbling georgia state took at the hands of the shots on last halloween the item of note heading into this matchup is that their all sun belt all world quarterback grayson mccall missed last week's win at georgia southern due to an upper body injury and his availability is unknown for the rest of the season In his place would be senior bryce carpenter who started in that win over southern last saturday night so let's go ahead and uh, kick off the discussion on this game with a question from Carlos on Twitter who wants to know with Coastal having injuries will that be an advantage for the Panthers gentlemen take it away
2: see i'm starting off this discussion just disgruntled because this is like the exact same jo- Coastal Georgia State game week pod that we had last year because last year i don't remember the injury but there was another Grayson McCall injury and it was like is he going to start is the backup going to start Obviously, he ended up starting having a great game. Georgia State didn't have a great game in any phase of the game. And Jordan talked about it. Humbling score. And now we're here again. And there's another injury. <clears throat> there's another injury to McCall. And again, Jamie Chadwell is taking every opportunity to just hedge every bet on his availability. He does not want to say if he's going to play or not. Because it started out like he might miss the rest of the season. And then today he clarified it and his he like, he's questionable for this Saturday and he might play this season and it's about his pain tolerance and no, no, you know, no, 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 probably questionable. Probably questionable. Saturday. Sorry. You know, rejected ESPN title. They went with highly questionable instead. um And, you know, here we are. And my hunch, just based on the fact that it, it sounds like it's like a shoulder thing. It sounds like it's, it's not a thing that requires surgery. It's just that it hurts and he can't really risk it. And he might, have designs on being an NFL quarterback or at least taking that jump. Like, my hunch is just he isn't going to play. It just sounds like it's too serious of a thing to play, but I'm sitting here reading all these vague comments and I'm just reminded of last year. And it doesn't need to be a thing where we only talk about the result where McCall doesn't play because then there's every chance he will because nothing makes sense and everything is going to be backwards. And I guess where I, I would be at is the Georgia State team that's played against Auburn for a half and the team that played last week against Louisiana is probably in the game with Coastal if they show up to play, even if McCall is the starter. But, you know, obviously if their all sum belt quarterback is out, it's going to have an impact on their chances to win the game.
3: I think that's definitely a factor. Um, I personally am operating under the assumption that until I see him in street clothes, McCall's playing. I don't care what Chadwell says. I don't even care what he says. I think last year was a perfect example of just you know, you got to prepare for the best to be there. And I think it was like a couple hours before the game last year where it really seemed like, oh, okay, McCall's really not playing. And then, you know, that game, what did he like from the line of scrimmage? He had like 300 something, you know, yards from scrimmage or something crazy, like four touchdowns, like no fumbles or interceptions or anything. And Georgia State had like 30 passing yards, you know granted him playing wasn't why Georgia state got their butts kicked. I think it was just one of those games where early Georgia state was just out of it. And a team that was just on, you know, God's gift to football in that year was just playing like it. Um, But I, I think Georgia state has been, really good at certain you know certain aspects of football lately the defense in conference play has been excellent they're not turning over the ball the georgia state as a team is not turning over the ball right now uh they have not had been intercepted that counted since the app state game 4 games ago um i don't believe they've fumbled in that streak either correct um you know the they had a streak of like 6 games with a fumble recovery that was snapped Um, but the defense is getting turnovers. Their turnover margin on the season is back to positive. You know, it's the, there are so many reasons to like Georgia State in this game. Even if McCall plays, it's just going to be a matter of can Georgia State's offense actually pass the ball at a rate that makes Coastal you know, kind of play back on their heels a little bit. And I mean, truthfully, I don't know. Like I, if you asked me this last week or the week before, I would have been like, Oh yeah. You know, like Darren obviously has had his ups and downs with it, but um, I I can't say that I know how it's going to go. I I think if you told me that he could have 200 yards passing and Georgia State you know continues to rush for over 200 yards, that wouldn't necessarily surprise me. But also at the same time, if you told me he had like 60 yards passing, that wouldn't surprise me either.
2: Yeah, to, to clean up what I said, I actually lied. There was a fumble. The T- Darren fumbled in the Texas State game. That's the only turnover that Georgia State has had since the app state game they've been three and one that stretch the turnover margin in that stretch is plus six because the defense has forced seven turnovers in that time so absolutely both sides of the ball valuing the football the defense has been making a lot more plays and forcing those turnovers and that's something that's definitely gonna have to be a factor in this game because uh you know coastal doesn't necessarily put the ball in harm's way that much and in this last game against georgia southern Their offense took a little bit to get going. They were playing in a pretty heavy rainstorm. And so both offenses were just kind of completely affected by that, which is understandable. It looked not at all fun to play in. But Coastal had a special teams play. They got a touchdown off of a blocked kick. And they forced or recovered two fumbles and scored on those fumbles and that gave them control of the game. And so it's definitely a team that if Georgia state is giving them opportunities to get turnovers on defense, they're going to take advantage of it. And, you know, the, the run game for them, whoever's quarterback, they've got some good backs and they've got highly and likely. And, uh, you know, the, the receiver Javion highly and Isaiah likely, the tight end who, I mean, I'd want the Falcons to look at just because he's really good, even though they already just drafted Kyle Pitts. Just He's had a really incredible year for them, and it's going to be a task for the guys over the middle of the field to defend against him. But, you know, I guess approaching the quarterback part of it, you know, like David said, I think there's a version of this Georgia State team that can win either way, but if you are looking at a situation where Grayson McCall does not play, you know, Bryce Carpenter is a senior for Coastal. He's played a lot of games there. He's played against Georgia State. He was the starter for them in that 2019 game against Georgia State, the last time Georgia State went up to South Carolina and they came out with the win. And I guess, you know, they can win either way, but if it is Bryce Carpenter, it is an opportunity. You really can't deny that. Like, it makes them a less good team not because of anything with Bryce Carpenter, but just because Grace McCall is that it factor for them and has that way to just run their offense that's made them the force that they've been. And so it's not something where if he ends up playing, and I think we've successfully matched Coach Shadwell's hedging of bets and not really landed on a fence with it. Me and David both fell on different sides of which way it's going to happen. But if he doesn't play, it makes it even more of an opportunity where you've got to find a way to win that game. You do, you know, and I think after the Auburn game,
3: after the Louisiana game, and just kind of after how the App State game looked good for a little bit and then looked very not good after that, the way that this team is playing right now, you got to find a win that game if McCall doesn't play. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's going to be easy, obviously, Um, but if you, like, Georgia State has been playing consistent football for 60 minutes each of the last like four or five games you know and you know you can't necessarily say that about that app state game or that auburn game and i think that is important like they despite where the record is like they have grown they've absolutely grown and there's been such progress made however it feels like they've still been stuck in the mud in some respects in getting over i don't even want to say a hump but just necessarily finding ways to be consistent like like that's I see a lot of people talk about Georgia State has not gotten over the hump, and we do it too. You know, I don't want to sit here and like badmouth us, but I, I think honestly, it's just a case of you have a team with a lot of talent, maybe not as talented as some other teams around them, both in their conference and peer institutions. You know, athletically speaking, and it's just about consistency. If if the Georgia State team that played against Louisiana played sixty minutes against Auburn, Georgia State probably wins that game. They probably do. I don't think Georgia State played a full sixty-minute game against Auburn. The same thing can be said about App State. I just had to look it up because I, I I remember the score. Georgia State was down at by eight at halftime against App State. You know, like they were in that game the entire way, and then the second half comes in and it's like, I what is a football? You know, and they're they're playing so much better right now that if you if they played coastal like they have been the last couple of weeks they can easily go into conway and upset coastal i really do
2: yeah and you know it's not that often that you have this missed opportunity where you could have beaten ranked louisiana on the road and gotten that kind of signature win that you've been missing and i i think that while the points you make are valid i think that it's pretty inarguable that that is a hump they need to clear. They need to beat a team that they quote unquote shouldn't, that Vegas doesn't have them beating odds on. And that would be another opportunity here. Like you immediately are going to go on the road. And so you can look at it in one way and say, God, the schedulers suck playing Louisiana and then immediately playing coastal on the road. But given the way the last game went, yeah, that, that motivation to get them ready for this game is super easy because you've got another good team. You're never going to be playing and it's right there in front of you and you know, we we talked a lot heading into this year, throughout this year, about how this three-game stretch was going to be important, starting with the road game at Southern. And it's going to be a hard stretch to w- have a winning record through. And obviously, you would have clinched that with a win over Louisiana. You can't go 3-0 and o during this stretch. But if they find a way to win against Coastal this week, going 2-1 in that stretch where you're playing all road games, two of the games you played within five days of each other, you know, it would say a lot and it would be a real achievement there. And at the end of the day, goal, you know, A, B, whichever one you characterize it, making a bowl game gets a lot easier. You go back to five and five with a win. And then you just have to win one of two at home against Arkansas State, who only has one win this season, and Troy, who it looks like will be pretty evenly matched. But, you know, you don't want to go into that Troy game five and six where you have to win because that sort of flips the dynamic and it makes it Maybe pressure starts to show up in that situation. It's very likely that if Georgia State's five and six, Troy also looked like they will be five and six because they've got two games coming up against App and Louisiana where they are the underdogs. And so you're looking at that and you're saying it's two really hungry teams. And, you know, obviously that flips or if you're no longer needing to get bowl eligibility, maybe you're less hungry and you got to figure out how to get up for that game. But If you want to make a bowl game and you want to just get that in your, you know, get that box ticked, this is the week that you can make it a near cinch because if you win this game, you definitely have no excuse not to beat Arkansas State. And even if you somehow drop that one, you've still got another home game after that that you've got to look at and say, here's a chance to go do it.
3: And they need to. You're absolutely right. They just. They need to. You know, It's it's been an interesting season. It's not over, obviously, but the, I mean, everything is still right in front of them. They might not. They obviously, if they're going to get to the Sunbelt championship game, they would need a ton of help. But a good season is still right there in front of them. And they just have to continue to play well. And it it's
2: definitely it can happen. And, you know, you don't want to let four bowl games in five years paper over any, you know, stuff that needs to get cleaned up. And you don't Take it as, oh, everything went great this season because you still want to have that season where you get eight, nine, ten wins. And that hasn't happened. And there was an expectation this team could be the team to do that. That hasn't been how it's played out. So you've still got stuff that you've got to work out in the offseason. But continuing the progress going, just like how we were talking last year about making those back to back bowl games for the first time was going to be such an important just momentum for the program to feel like they're going somewhere. Hitting three in a row does that again. And then four or five years, like it isn't an achievement in the sense that it's what you set out to do because it it should be the secondary thing that you get a conference championship, but then you also go to a bowl. Like it isn't just, oh, Georgia State made a bowl, mission accomplished. That's not what I'm saying. But it's definitely something that you could bring in, especially with the one in four start and having to kind of dig deep and find something. It's something that you can look at and say, the team made enough plays happen, got enough wins and get another month of practice and another team to play in December.
1: And it is finally Georgia state basketball season. Moving on to a little bit of Panther basketball news. Um, We have a little bit to talk about. Um, So Georgia state has played two games, one exhibition and one regular season uh, against Clayton state and Bruton Parker, respectively. Um, Both games were played. Both games were won handily by Georgia state.
2: What were our biggest takeaways from these first two games? Well, I feel like I should take the lead because I was in person for both of them. The Clayton State game wasn't on TV and the uh, Bruton Parker game was supposed to be, but I think there were some just technical issues and ESPN Plus wasn't cooperating. And so David only got to see like the last couple minutes and change.
3: All I know is Bruton Parker was in that game way longer. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I know nothing.
2: Yeah, and I guess... There's a couple of things that you can take from both of them. And it's, you know, the scores were what they were, and the scores were going to be what they were no matter how Georgia State played. Like, and that's not to, you know, they played hard. Clayton State showed some tempo and some pressure stuff that I think Coach Nere was happy that they got to see some looks like that, that they practiced against, that it was good, even if they were an overmatched opponent. But you were going to beat those teams handily no matter what. And I guess I'm not trying to sound the alarm or anything, but, you know, Elielo Sassame is missing, probably missing a few more games. Uh, The timeline's not 100%, but it sounds like they are taking this as carefully as they can with him to make sure he's 100%. And the team misses the energy that he provides. They miss the just effort with the rebounding and just interior defense that he provides. And they're going to have to find it because, you know, I was the one we put out our projections, predictions for the season earlier this week. I was the lowest of them. Uh, I think I let it at tw- 24 and six. And I feel like right now that's where it's trending just because right now the team is going to struggle against good teams until they kind of find that energy until they start to mesh and exist without LEL because his presence is missing. And, you know, I, I guess I've got more to say, but uh, I'll pass it to David just from what he was, or I'll pass it to Taylor from whatever he was able to glean.
1: Yeah, I think when you're talking about missing presences, on the flip side of that, the biggest takeaway that I had, especially from watching the bit of the and Parker game that I was able to catch, was that this team missed Nelson Phillips in the worst way, and not to say that you know necessarily, yeah, you know, not to say there's a negative, but it is so good to see Nelson Phillips back out defending well making plays just you know you could tell that the team looked better chemistry wise and fit on the on the court when he was uh when he was in the lineup so that was my biggest yeah
2: yeah absolutely and he's the guy I think closest to like if you want to say what they're looking for with LEL and the energy like he is that guy on defense and you know unfortunately I don't think he's going to be nearly as able to just get steals like he did he had seven and then five and a couple of them were just he just grabbed the basketball like it was hilarious to watch live. It was just like you playing up close defense and they just grabbed it. And it's like you aren't going to be able to do that against, you know, northeastern Richmond, anyone down the line. Some play just part of that's just level of competition. And, you know, he's got quick hands and he's going to play hard. But he's, you're going to have to find ways to stop the, uh, the opponent without quite as easy of uh, takeaways. But yeah. And like you say, just a breath of fresh air to see him making plays at both ends. There was one sequence against Bruden Parker where we got a slam dunk and then at the other end stopped a fast break with a block. And uh it was a good student crowd and there were a couple times where the crowd really got going and uh two or three of the times was just Nelson doing something. Whether well, it was those plays, making a three and so yeah, I I don't want to say that the season necessarily goes differently if Nelson is healthy last season, but there were times in moments where Georgia state needed specifically what he could provide, whether it's just a a guy who can lock up a guy for possession or a corner three because he's great at those. And and so as they continue to find out who this team is, especially as long as LEL's out, the fact that they can have him come in and come off the bench, I think is important as well. Like he's not been starting. I don't think he's going to, but. Having him be that guy off the bench, where you know the starters maybe get a minute, and you've got to worry about this guy who comes in who's just energy bunny off the bench. If you your other team,
3: it's definitely going to be interesting. You know, I, I love early season basketball in the sense that you know you see a lot of guys play minutes that they probably wouldn't play in the regular season. Um, and specifically for this Georgia State team, I'm really interested to see just how the rotations kind of shake out. Just because I think this is such a deep team and, you know, guys are going to be fighting for minutes and coach is going to have, you know, a plethora of options to play, you know, when he wants to find the guy who's got the hot hand. But at the same time that you need to be able to find guys who are continuing to elevate your team forward and get those wins. So it's going to be really interesting to see. And, you know, there's not a ton that can be gained from, you know, playing a uh, Bruton Parker this, you know, this early in the season. Like those rotations will probably get really tight as we get into Sunbelt play. But so far, you know, the guys that have gotten minutes, it seems like everybody's, you know, found a way to make at least one signature them play, which is, you know, that's encouraging to see.
2: Yeah, on the, the Bruton Parker game specifically highlights maybe not like a trouble sign because it you know, one game does not a trend make, but Bruton Parker was significantly outsized by Georgia State, and Bruton Parker ended up with 15 offensive rebounds. The margin was only 42-37 in favor of Georgia State. And you look at that, even without LEL, Georgia State should be able to better significantly out-rebound a team like Bruton Parker. And so that card that sort of speaks to where it needs to come from. It's not just, you know, Jaheim Hudson, the freshman, needs to like there were loose balls where it's just the Bruton Parker players were the guys making the extra move, running into the space where the ball was going. And, you know, stuff like that isn't have anything to do with size. It doesn't have anything to do with ability. And I think that's the stuff that Coach Neer wants to get across. You know, like sometimes you can hear coaches have takeaways after big wins where it's like, yeah, all right, your team won, played well. But like I was sitting there and like I, not taking away from the Georgia State players, but you won by 60 against Bruton Parker, but like there was a lot that you looked at that it's like, that's gotta be better when you're not playing Prudent Parker. And so I definitely understood. And, you know, in his post game, he had a lot of that to say about, you know, the discipline, the rebounding, um, and that they just need to fill that void. And as they look at, you know, Northeastern is going to come in off of a loss. Uh, Richmond, I don't really know what to make of Richmond, but they are pretty well rated this week. So, it's one home game, one road contest against teams that are on your level talent wise, or at least in the, the ballpark. And you're gonna have to find it quick. And that's that's why I talk about I'm not saying my projection overall is gonna change that much, because I still think this is a good team, but you might lose a couple games in non-conference earlier on against some of the better teams you're playing in that stretch if you're not able to kind of cobble all of that together. And you know, for Georgia State to get where we want them to be and getting up seed lines versus where they have been in past years, they're going to have to find a way to get, turn those into wins, even if they struggle out of the gate against some of these teams. But, you know, I think it's just a fact of life right now is that it was maybe the one guy that you couldn't afford from a mentality point of view to lose like this. And at least not at this moment while they're still developing some of the younger guys.
1: Yeah, I think, Brady, you you kind of segued it very well to uh, to bring up the upcoming games um, in the next few days. Uh, So on Friday, Georgia State will be hosting a former CAA foe in Northeastern coming to the sports arena. Uh, The Panthers have a four and six total record against the Huskies. Their last game was a 90 to 84 loss in February of 2013. Now, the uh, Northeastern is coming off a relatively close loss to a very good Colgate team that made the first round of the NCAA tournament last year, all losing 65 to 58. Um, So, what specifically have you guys noticed um, and uh, are your expectations heading into uh, a Northeastern? game where I had touched on it a little bit in the predictions uh, piece we would put together that these next two games, specifically the Richmond game, uh, but maybe I had looked past the Northeastern a little bit because I didn't realize that they had played Colgate so closely. So what are the... um, this is sort of supposed to be maybe the litmus test of this early season to see sort of get the, the this team that does is still trying to find themselves a little bit of their identity early on with like you'd said um with l e l semi being out and trying to really latch on to some of those um some of the, the the identity of the team that the the coach is um is pushing um you know it's gonna be interesting to see how they how they perform but so what are you guys looking for for these upcoming two games?
3: uh chemistry chemistry is like the first thing that i look for in the early season um you know a lot of those georgia state teams that have upset schools on the road uh early in the basketball season i mean they just they kind of they had been used to playing with each other and they they knew the style and they knew you know what what everybody wanted to do and what everybody wanted to where they were on the court you know like that Georgia State upset of Alabama a few years ago, where they were down pretty significantly early on. I mean, you know, those guys have been playing together for you know three years by that point, two three years at that point, and you know they they didn't waver when Georgia State was down. They just you know kept chipping away, chipping away, and then boom, Alabama left that door wide open for Georgia State to you know make a crazy shot at the end, and they did, and you know, boom goes the dynamite. So I think that's going to be the most important thing, just how does Georgia state look playing competition? That's not, you know, as inferior as their exhibition and, you know, their first contest. I think especially Richmond being on the road, you know, that like, that's a, that's a really good bar for Georgia state to, you know, kind of test the waters and see where they're at. Because one thing with Georgia state that, you know, I can say for myself is the expectations have always been sky high for them. You know, the last five, six years, you know, but like Brady just alluded to, they've always kind of missed that you know higher level seed in the NCAA tournament simply because the out of conference you know schedule just it's you know the the impressive wins have been missing from the docket you know and I think even like last year if Georgia State had won the Sun Belt tournament you know I don't necessarily think that the you know the opening game against Georgia Tech would have elevated them in a way that, you know, a win against Richmond or Tech this year would elevate them, you know? So I think for where the program wants to be and where they think they are, I'm not necessarily demanding a win, but, you know, they've got to play well. They've got to go into Richmond and they've got to play well. They've got to, you know, handle business against Northeastern. Like the, the, these, are, these are games that you, you know, you, you want to be winning these games. Just a quick
1: stat blurb um, about Richmond. They're 1-0 on the season, fending off NC Central 70-60 to on Tuesday night. Uh, this coming Friday, they're going to play Utah State in Annapolis, Maryland, before hosting the Panthers early next week. Richmond was 14-9, uh, 14-9 last season, uh, made it to the NIT tournament, and lost to uh, Mississippi State, who actually will be a foe. Georgia State will see later, uh, see later on in the year on the road to Starkville, Mississippi.
2: Yeah. And, you know, you started with what am I looking to see? I'm I'm looking to see the game against Northeastern not tip at 1 p.m. on a Friday. But if needs must, needs must. So there we go. I have said that I think that's an inconvenient time and it is what it is. The schedule is what it is. Um, You know, flipping it around to what we know Georgia State does well. And I I don't want to say after focusing on, you know, when we get to this level where you're looking for Georgia State to be that team, you sort of have to focus on like what needs to improve and what needs to be better and what to look out for. But, you know, this team shouldn't lack for scoring and especially with the guards they have, it should not lack for guard play making plays happen. And so when you're playing a team like Northeastern at home, that might, it might be a dogfight through much of the game. You still hope that you can see Corey Allen, Kane Williams, Justin Roberts, be those guys who can make plays happen offensively. And maybe you look at it and go, okay, we needed better rebounding. We needed better defense. We needed whatever fill in the blank, but a game that you can look back and say, we won. And you can say that it's because the guys that you trust can win you games late can make the plays that need to can put points on the board. And, you know, that's where I'd be looking at because they were able to make those plays obviously against the teams they played in the exhibition in the opener against Bruton Parker. Um, uh, but you know, more than just, yes, the shots were more open. Like I noticed Corey, not necessarily taking every time he could have, he was being a little bit choosy with his selection and he was getting good looks because of it. And it's, you know, the same around, you know, Justin Roberts had a good game against Bruton Parker. And I, I think coach near mentioned post game that he was happy to see him have a good game. I don't know if he was just struggling to find his shot as they were going through camp or whatever. And so he mentioned that that was something and, you know, Justin's a guy that when he gets on, he just starts making them from three all day. And, you know, it's a guy you got to keep feeding. So that's definitely encouraging. And yeah, I, I that's, you know, the, the thing that I would want to say is that we still know that there are good guards on this team and good experienced guards. And, you know, David talked about chemistry. Those guys have played together while there are some other guys that are finding their spots in the rotation. And so if nothing else, what you should be able to rely on in these two games is, Those upperclassmen providers, scorers, all of the above. Yeah. And, you know,
3: it's... I think the nice thing about Georgia state to that point is the level of experienced guards that they have, but also the guard play that they have. That's young. You know, you've got like, you know, Jordan, I don't, I didn't see what Jordan Rawls did in the game, but but, you know, if he can come in and be a guy who can give you, you know, eight, 10 points off the bench, you know, pair him with Nelson Phillips. If that second unit is just as good, if not better than the first unit for Georgia state, you know, that's, that's scary.
2: Yeah, Jordan came in. He was kind of a steadier in the first half against Clayton State. You know, the Clayton State exhibition started kind of slowly offensively, with it, it was continuing on with the energy theme that you know Coach Leader said kind of underpinned a lot of what was going on in those two games, but definitely saw some point guard that can run the offense. And he's got a three, he's not afraid to shoot three uh as well. And so again, it's another thing where you got to like Evan Johnson, we know is a sharpshooter. Jordan Rawls will shoot threes. You've got the guys in the starting lineup that you know can shoot threes. Nelson shoots threes. You know, aside from just Corey Allen can make shots himself, and Kane Allen, uh, Kane Williams, and Justin Roberts can make shots themselves. Like we know that they're good providers, and we know that with the way Georgia State runs their offense, there's going to be opportunities where guys are going to be posted in corners, and so going to be important for the guys who were getting their feet set, making shots like in those situations because you know points uh, this team really could be 80 a game type like we know that they can score 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 just going to be interested to see which guys can stay in their flow and make the shots when they're got open looks and and the other thing i would say just in closing about men's basketball is that you know i've got to mention that Georgia tech lost to miami of ohio at home uh, and that yeah, did, um, David's reaction makes me look like he didn't notice that, that that had happened.
3: Oh, no, it's just you. I knew that it happened. It's just not something that should happen if that team is going to be where they think they're going to be this year.
2: Right. And I guess the other part of that is that I've said all of this about, you know, Georgia State needs to find ways to improve the energy and all to get to where they want to be in out of conference play. But that game is well off just before Christmas so you know if you, even if you circle that game as this is a game that Georgia State would like to win for A, B, and C and I think they do I think it would be an important win to win two in a row against Georgia Tech like that three in a row if you count the uh, hurricane exhibition from a few years ago not that we're counting we're totally counting that game um, 100% counting absolutely counting <laughs> that's well enough in the distance that if you start to sort this stuff up, if you start to sort this stuff out and especially if LE comes back You know, they seem like they're in a rough spot, and you've got time to sort out what you maybe need to work through. And that's still well off. Like even if you just want that one win, it it's so far off in the distance that the team can definitely make the improvements they need to at that point. And also, I just wanted to mention the tech lost.
0: So, one more, I guess, tangentially related basketball item. Mike from Marietta asked us on Twitter earlier, thoughts on the new black jerseys worn by Georgia State Men's basketball on Tuesday? And before you guys get uh, your opinions in, absolute fire. I am in love with them and I yeah, want one. Heat.
1: I mean, unmitigated, unmitigated heat. I, I, I was a little bullish when I first saw the, the picture, but seeing photos like on the court and seeing like highlights, yeah, I mean, some of my favorite Georgia State basketball uniforms we've had in quite some time.
3: They definitely look good. I'm glad that they look good. I didn't see them in person, obviously, but like on the court, you know, on TV, what I did see, they looked really nice. I think that the design works really well, just kind of especially with the blue that's both around the arena and, uh, you know, lined on the inseams, you know, and I was a little bit curious how the script would look in person um, or on TV, I guess, Uh, but it looked really good. I really liked it.
1: Yeah, I was a morning. fan. Oh, go ahead, Brady.
2: Yeah, I I was a fan from the release video and in person confirmed it. I did. not I did want to mention Coach Linear. It was not the pulling the punches after the game. And just, he was asked about them and he was like, yeah, I thought they were good. I thought they looked better than the players wearing them that, tonight. <laughs> He's so candid. I love it. <laughs>
1: The script reminds me of those uh, before the NBA switched to Nike. Those old Christmas Adidas uniforms they used to do in a very good way. Yeah, those it's were very cheap.
3: very good. Way. I miss those. I do too.
1: And, and I, you
2: know, I would. The I
1: year the Hawks actually get an NBA Christmas game, we don't actually get one of those cool jerseys.
2: Anti Atlanta agenda, I say. And I wanted to say also that, you know, they wore the new white uniforms in, uh against Clayton State. And I think I'm probably the one who's most on board with those. I think there was kind of a more mixed reaction to those amongst us and maybe more generally. But they're growing on me. They're definitely growing on me. And I wasn't opposed to them aesthetically to start with. But I just wanted to, you know, they wore the new white ones as well. I wanted to mention those. And I guess. I don't Pictures I- look good. We might, be see st- the pictures. we might be stealing Mike from Marietta's next question. So sorry if we did that. But I just wanted to mention that they did wear those new yeah. uniforms as well.
0: All right. So that's all we've got time for this week. Of course, before we get you completely out of here, we did want to hit on some sports bits for your upcoming week in Panther Athletics. Today, as of the release of this podcast, 4 p.m. men's soccer facing number 17 West Virginia and the MAC tournament in DeKalb, Illinois. Uh, on NIU All Access. So if you happen to have a subscription to that, uh, go right on ahead. Um, but uh, Friday, Women's Cross Country at the NCAA South Regional in Huntsville, Alabama, Friday morning, 9.30 a.m., Women's Basketball and Men's Basketball, both in the sports arena, for a 10 a.m. beginning doubleheader, Women Facing Tennessee State, and then at 1 p.m., Men Facing Northeastern, again, the game we previously talked about, both of those games will be on ESPN+. Plus. And then later, Sports Arena is going to be busy Friday, I'll tell you what. Volleyball versus South Alabama at 6.30 p.m. Saturday, football, of course, traveling to Coastal Carolina, 2 p.m. ESPN+, WRAS FM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call there. And volleyball facing Troy in Atlanta at 6.30 p.m. Sunday, women's basketball plays Life University in the Sports Arena at 2 p.m. That game also on ESPN+. Plus. And then Tuesday, men's basketball at Richmond. Again, as we discussed previously, that game will be on ESPN Plus at 7 p.m. And also on WRAS. And then Wednesday, volleyball at the Sunbelt Conference Championship. And women's basketball hosting Bruton Parker in Sports Arena at 6 p.m. on ESPN Plus. So lots of good stuff to get at this week in Panther Athletics World. We will be offering coverage of football and men's basketball so make sure you keep us in your twitter and facebook feeds for all of that information and of course thursdaynight.com for recaps we will catch you next week with another episode of the podcast have a fantastic week and go panthers if you like what we do and want to help out consider subscribing to us on patreon patreon membership is just five dollars a month and gets you access to a variety of exclusive content made just for our subscribers you can also connect with us on social media we're on twitter instagram and facebook as at thursday night and of course you can always catch our written material on our website thursdaynight.com the thursday night podcast is a production of and copyright 2021 jordan crawford enterprises llc all rights
2: reserved